0: Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. Good to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians 3. We're going to be in Galatians 3 this morning. We, uh, if, I'm not sure how many of you were there last Sunday night, but it was an amazing night uh, celebrating missions. Uh, we are. I, I, Dan asked me to share this. We are, we are at a goal for $100,000 uh, to raise for above and beyond, and we are this close. And so what I'd like to ask you is if God is stirring in your heart to want to give it to so that we can reach our $100,000 goal, please prayerfully consider that and let our let Dan or our missions uh, team know that you're willing to give a little bit extra. We I think we, b- before I got here, we needed like $5,000 extra. And, and so I believe that God, there's $5,000 in this room that God would have to give for above and beyond missions. So prayerfully consider that. The Spirit's leading you to give that. Please do. How many of you in this room love to cook? Any, any chefs or aspiring chefs? In this room? Okay, lots of, more cooks in this service than last service. That's good, man. We should have a potluck sometime. We, uh, uh, you know, when, when I eat food, when I eat food, I just enjoy the meal. I'm like, that was great. But if you are a chef or someone who likes to cook, my wife likes to cook, I'll, so many times when we're eating something, she's like, well, I wonder how they made this. Have you ever wondered that? Some of you who like cooking, you, when you eat something, you're already trying to pick apart, like, what are the flavors in here, and how do they prepare this? And you're already thinking about what's going on in the kitchen, what is going on around the meal that made this meal so, so good. Uh, I, I kind of do that a little bit when I'm in an environment normally, in a service like this. I'm up here preaching and teaching. I've been preaching for 23 years, at least once a week. And uh, there are times when I'm sitting and I'm hearing someone preach, and when I hear a sermon, I try to just focus in on what the Word of God is being taught. But I can't help it. There are times when I'm listening that I'm in some ways trying to. I'm I'm thinking through the framework of the sermon of how that person put it together. I'm thinking through what you know how he made that how he how that person put together that sermon you know in their study time and what they're using illustrations here and so there's this thing that's happening outside of the main content that's being spoken and there are times that maybe it's in your field you kind of see the bigger picture of what's going on and that's exactly what I want to do with the text this morning in Galatians 3 we we know that this is a letter that Paul wrote to these churches in Galatia they have they have, these are churches that Paul planted, and he is, he's writing this letter as he's heard the people coming into these churches and preaching a false gospel. And he's writing and telling them there's only one true gospel, there's one pure gospel, and it's about Jesus Christ. And his, it's only by faith that you're justified, it's not by the works of the law. And so these people, these Judaizers, were going in there and teaching a false gospel message. And the first two chapters, he's he really hammers home this idea of faith leads to justification. And chapters three and four begin a new section, a new argument base that he's going to go into. But I don't want to spend the bulk of the time on the argument that Paul gives. Because as I was reading and studying this text this week, something... Something bigger was going on here that I kept seeing over and over. My my soul was just really wrestling with that there is even a letter written in the first place. That Paul is writing here some things that are important. Paul is a man who loves these people, loves these churches. And when he hears that there's something that's wrong inside of them, he's got to do something about it. Paul confronts the problem. He confronts these people because he loves them so much. And that is a lost art in our world today. We're going to talk a little bit about the content that's here in this passage. But for the bulk of the sermon this morning, it's going to focus on confrontation. Biblical confrontation. I mean, Paul begins this passage with, you foolish Galatians. There's not more confrontational tone than that. And some of you, for some of you, confrontation is easy. For some of you, confrontation is hard. But when I, I'm not just talking about just regular confrontation, I'm talking about biblical confrontation. And the reason why Paul is writing this letter, I think, is something that we need to take a step back from, and say, why is this letter written at all? Because I believe in our current climate, our context of our, of how we live and work and school and all the things, the life that we're living, to me, confrontation and biblical confrontation is getting much harder for a number of different reasons. First of all, this, everyone is offended today, aren't they? Everyone is offended today for something. You'll do something like, I was offended. I'm like, what did I do? And people are just offended today. And so I think sometimes just the sense of offense that permeates the culture, I think that what that makes us do, maybe as followers of Jesus, it makes us step back and be like, I just, I don't want to offend anyone. Because to offend someone is the cardinal sin of our culture. And let me just say this, biblically speaking, to offend is not necessarily a bad thing. Being offensive, we're never supposed to be offensive, but to offend, that, that is something that we have no control over. The, the other issue is that there is this belief, and you've heard me say this before, that the, that the zeitgeist of our culture, the, one of the values is, is this. If you disagree with me, you hate me. And therefore, if you have a different idea of what truth is, or sexuality, or, or, or politics, or whatever it is, if you have a different perspective of those things, we can't sit down and just have a dialogue. There is this, if you, dis, if you disagree with me, you must hate me. And that is not a biblical idea. And so what Paul is doing is he sees this church that's going off in a wrong direction. They are believing false things about God, about his word, about the gospel. And Paul says, i got to say something. And, And I believe that for us today as Christians, if we are going to thrive as the people of God, we've got to learn how to confront. We've got to learn how to confront biblically Paul is doing something here that I think is is hard to do today even in churches today I find it very hard to you know we we come into rooms like this and if you only hear sermons that affirm 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 I promise you this you will not grow in your faith the way God wants you to there are times when we have to come into these rooms like this and be confronted about sin in our own lives And the reason why we do that is not because we're trying to prove ourselves smarter or better or more righteous. Confrontation takes place because we care about that other person. Just like Paul was writing this letter, he cared about these people. He writes later on in another letter in 1 Thessalonians how he loves this church the way a a mother and a father love their children. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He sees, the reason why some of his languages feel so harsh and it feels so confrontational is because he sees their eternal destiny is at stake. And he's not going to lie down and say, if I see someone that I love going down a wrong path, going towards destruction, going towards pain, if I say nothing, I am not being loving to that person. And we've got to learn today how to speak up and confront biblically. That's exactly what Paul is doing in this moment. And so the content in this this text is really important, but it's gonna take a backseat to the reality that he's writing a confrontational letter to people who need to hear the truth. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and just to think about that, there might be someone in your life that God has put in your life that is going in the wrong direction. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, is God calling you to say something? Is God calling you to confront biblically in a way that, that's going to address the unrighteousness and in the, in the false beliefs of someone else? Or maybe there's, this, there's another question. Maybe we're, you're sitting in this room and God is saying, there's, there's something I need to confront you about. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I do know this. If, if we as the church become more more proficient and more biblical in our confrontation, we will be a people more in line with God and his word. I believe that. And so the main idea I want to leave you with this morning is this, if you care enough, you'll confront. If you care enough, you'll confront. One of the things that my... my um, my wife and I—we love listening to podcasts. Sometimes we listen to—you know—I'm going back to school for, and as, as a therapist, and so we, I, there's some. Some marriage and therapy podcasts that we will listen to, and we'll just talk about it. And one of the things that that you'll find is in good marriage therapy, there's this idea, there's a confrontation of if you love someone, you'll say something when they're doing something wrong. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do that, but to say nothing is actually unloving. And so, what Paul is doing is one of the most loving things he could do. He is confronting these people in their sin and in their false theology, and he's drawing them back to God and his word. So I want to talk to you this morning about four essentials of biblical confrontation. Four essentials of biblical confrontation. If we're going to do confrontation and we're going to do it right, let's look at how Paul does it in this passage. The first essential is this, rebuke. Rebuke. Look at how Paul begins this conversation. Oh foolish Galatians, I mean, he just starts right out and calls them, you're being foolish right now. Look at the beginning of verse verse 3. Are you so foolish? In the very beginning, in chapter 1, he says the same thing. Why are you being so foolish? Oh, three times in the first three chapters, he's telling them, you're being foolish right now by going after this ideology. Now, when he's using this word foolish, It's not the way way we use foolish. When we use foolish today, we we normally use it in terms of someone is not with it up here. They're intellectually, you know, not with it. That's not the way the Bible uses the word foolish. The way the Bible uses the word foolish is someone who lacks understanding and does not live according to God and his ways. For example, Psalm 14 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no god and proverbs you know we have the book of proverbs all about fools and 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 wise people what's wisdom what's foolishness you know it says in the very beginning the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom the whole idea is that when we live lives and say i don't care what god says i want to do what i want to do in my own way my own thing that's what the bible calls a fool what Paul is saying here is what you, what you are doing, what you Galatians are doing is you're abandoning God in his ways, in his word, his authority, and you're saying, I, we're going to believe what other people think. We're going to believe what we want to think. And that's essentially being foolish. So Paul's not saying that they're, you know, they're, they're lacking intellectual prowess. What he's saying is you're abandoning God in a way that's going to make you a fool. And he calls him out. And that sounds, it might sound harsh to us, to our ears and to us, but the reality is Paul is stating the truth, saying you're being foolish right now by thinking that you're going to do your own thing and it's going to turn out well. It's not. That's what being a fool is all about. And rebuke, rebuke and rebuking is something that is good and is something that is appropriate at times. Now, God doesn't want us to just go out and just rebuke everyone. You're stupid. You're wrong. You know, ah, That's not what God wants us to do. There are appropriate ways to do this. And, and I want you to see this in, God, in God's word. There's this idea of rebuke that is throughout the scriptures. And so we're going to have these four scriptures on, on the screen for you to see these. Uh, some of the, Just a taste of where the Bible talks about rebuke. The first one, it's God. Psalm 119 is all about God and his word. You being God. You rebuke the insolent accursed ones who wander from your commandments so right there we have God in his spirit God is the ultimate one who rebukes us in our sin when we go astray he's the one that loves us enough to rebuke us and go from going in a direction of rebellion against him the second one Proverbs 17 10 a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool right there talks about the importance of a rebuke. See, none of us, if we're going to be people who are wise, we have to realize this, none of us have arrived. We're always learning and growing, and there will be times in our lives where we have to receive rebuke. Rebuke is a good thing. I remember when I was uh, first starting out as a lead pastor, I was a youth pastor for six years, and we had planted this church in Denver, and and uh, I remember, you know, it was a lot of new things, just learning how to be a pastor, a real pastor. You know, that's what people always say when I was a youth pastor, like, one day you're going to be a great real pastor someday. So I was a real pastor finally, and so I I had this church, and I was learning a lot of things, but one of the things that I was really lax in was taking care of receipts, and we had these financial policies that we had established, and I remember our treasurer coming some one time and saying, hey, listen, you're you're losing a lot of receipts, you're missing a lot of receipts, and, you know, you got to do better at that, and and I just remember like, yeah, 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 I'm doing ministry, man. Like, I'm, I'm doing real ministry. You want me to care about receipts? Like, and I, I just kind of blew them off. And I remember not too, long, too much later, uh, we were having an we elders meeting. And Kevin Johnson, Kevin, who was a, one of the men who started the church with me, and he's a godly man. He was a missionary in the Gambia, came back and uh, works in the uh, health care field here. In the United States, and 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 Kevin is just—I I love this man. He is—he loves Jesus. He loves the church. He loves people, and he loves me. And I remember we had our agenda, our elder meeting agenda. I remember at the end, he just says, "You know, uh, before we end, Ben, there's something I need to say to you." And he he pulls out this letter. He reads this letter, and he rebuked me for my my lackadaisical attitude towards receipts. And his whole thing was this: Ben, you are you are leading this church. And for, you to not, and for you to blow off financial policies, it dishonors the work that people are, are putting into for the budget, it, it, it lacks you know, honor for God's money. This is not your money, this is God's money. And, and, it's, and you're gonna do yourself a harm and a disservice if you don't start taking care of your own you know, lackadaisical nature according to fi- your finances, the church's finances. And, and you need to correct this. I remember sitting there and just thinking, wow, I, I've got to change. I, this is an area of my life that I, I don't want to just blow off. And to, to know this, that one of the major areas that most pastors fail in the ministry, one of those areas is finances. And so I had to take that moment, humble myself to what he was saying. And I, and I can tell you this, I'm not perfect with receipts now, but I'm a lot better. I'm a lot better. And the reason is because there's a moment when I was 31 years old, someone loved me enough to confront me, and to say you're not honoring God with this error in your life. I needed to hear that. We all need to hear those. Mo- we have those moments in our life where we hear the rebuke, to, so that we can grow and change. Look at First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty. This is Paul writing to another pastor. He says, "As for those who persist in sin." rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear the reality is there are times when we have to publicly call out people who are who are actively promoting sin and persisting in their sin and then the last passage 2 Timothy 4 2 through 4 preach the word be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Listen, this, that passage right there, we need to hear that today. Amen. Because they're so, they're so, it's our inclination to say, I don't want to hear the hard truths of God's word. I don't want to hear the things that I might be doing wrong. I want to go to a place. I'm going to go to a church. I'm going to go hear sermons. I'm going to go hear podcasts where I'm never confronted about anything that I'm doing. And so I can live the life I want to live. I can get my church fix on the side. And I can just go on with my life. And God, that is not honoring to God. And that is leading to, to, to a path of destruction in our lives. It's a fake and a false sense of godliness. We, as the people of God, there are times when we need to be rebuked. And it's for our good. It's for the glory of God. Listen, the, the say, these sayings that we have in, 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 our, in our vernacular, let bygones be bygones. Live and let live. It might sound good, might get you off the hook, but the reality is, it's not biblical. And there are times when we have to have the courage. Again, this is not something that comes easy or natural for me. But I know this every single time. As a pastor, I've, I learned this very early on. If you don't learn to confront people, you're not going to last long as a pastor. Just not. And I've made a lot of mistakes in my leadership by not confronting. But every time I did, I can promise you this. I saw the hand of God work. And and it takes courage. It takes courage to say, I'm going to say the hard thing. Even though they might not like what I have to say. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do the thing because I know this is for their good. And God's going to be honored in this. Sometimes we just have to rebuke. Number two awareness of deception not only is there times what biblical essential ingredient is to rebuke we have to be aware of deception look at the second thing that he says oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you now this is a very interesting question paul asks six questions in succession here to start the first six verses the first question is who has bewitched you now this word bewitched It's the only time this word is used in the greek new testament And it's a word that literally means someone who casts an evil eye upon or someone who casts a spell over. Now that might sound very foreign to our context and how you and I live. We're not out there casting curses on people. But in the first century world, one of the things that the first century world had a much better, I think, sense of was the spirit world. They had a much better sense of the gods and the demons and the and the principalities and powers that Paul talks about. That they are real, and that they are actually people that you could go to to cast spells on other people. It was very common in those days. If you don't like your boss, you go to some magician, you cast a spell on them. If you don't, if you if you wanted that person to to marry you and like you or sleep with you, you cast a spell to so that they would they would fall in love with you. I, I don't know how it all worked. I do know this. that in, There's an actual Simon the magician in the New Testament, right? In the book of Acts, we see this. And so there's something supernatural that's going on. In what, what, but what's most interesting is not the idea that he's saying, who's bewitched you? The most interesting part of this question is that the word who is in the singular. It's in the singular. And what Paul is saying is this. You are being you're being deceived. Your eyes are being blinded. And its I'm not blaming these Judaizers, even though I don't like them. He's going to talk about them later in some harsh terms. But the devil is after you. The devil's after to distract you, to discourage you, to, to destroy you. This is what the enemy does. The devil takes no days off. He takes no time off. And one of his greatest, the devil's greatest mission is to steal kill and destroy the work of God and the people of God. That's the only thing he thinks about every single moment of every single day. That's what he's after is to distract you, to get your eyes off of God to do what he wants you to do. And he's going to work his, his, his heart out to make sure that people do not turn to God. It says in, in first, or Second Corinthians chapter 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the people of this age. And so we have to pray against, as the people of God, praying against that spiritual blindness that the enemy does. But if those of us who do accept Jesus, what he does is he tries to do everything he can to pull us away from loving God, obeying God, serving God, doing the things that God wants us to do. He's constantly trying to distract us. And if he he got into this church by saying, hey, maybe I'm going to make him doubt what, what the gospel really is. Let's put in this virus. Let's put in this idea. Let's put in, this is exactly what the enemy does. You know, uh, I don't normally bring my phone up to, with me to preach. I brought it up this morning because these little things are a blessing and a curse, are they not? They've changed our lives in so many ways for the good and for the worse. And one of my constant pet peeves and, and I know I do this, I'm not perfect at this, but one of my pet peeves is when you're in a conversation with someone and the little ding goes off and the person pulls it out and is like, the conversation's done. Never ever happened to you? Maybe you're that person, right? You're, you're somewhere in that, that your phone, and, and I've been there. I'm, I'm walking, all of a sudden my phone buzzes. And I'm like, I got to answer my phone right now. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. That phone will distract me in an instant. And so, you know, that's why when I'm up here, my phone's on do not disturb mode. So if you try to text me right now, I will not buzz. But you know how, you know, it's like that constant buzzing. Dzz, 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 and we're like Pavlov's dog. We're like, I must look at my phone. Like, it's just inside of us to look at it. And, and, and what, what happens is when we're having a conversation, if you're in a conversation with someone, that little oh, ding, and you're like, I, I know what, I'm in a conversation, but I have to look at my phone right now. That, that disruption, that distraction breaks off the communion in the t- two minutes happening in that moment. And that's exactly what the enemy does in our hearts. Listen, in this, in this room this morning, I promise you, the, the devil's like, ding, 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 ding. Look at this, think about this. Th- th- all, you know. He does not want you to hear the word of God. When you leave this morning, he's going to give you every reason, every thought. Ding, 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 ding. Think about this. Pay attention to this. Distract this. This is what the enemy does. Be aware of the bewitching power and influence of the enemy to distract you from God. And that's exactly what he says here. Look what he says in verse one. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that that, these, that this experience that these Gentiles had, it was not, they were not in Judea. They were not in Jerusalem in 33 AD to actually witness this. Through Paul's teaching and through, his, through the Holy Spirit's power, they were able to see and be aware of the reality of Christ crucified. In that moment, they were able to see the reality of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. You you can all think of those moments. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is this moment that, that you can remember when the preaching of the gospel story penetrated your heart and your mind and your soul. And for the first time, your soul came alive and you saw Jesus. You understood what the gospel was all about. You understood what the cross was for, for your salvation, to take away your sin. What Paul is saying here is in that moment, you saw something that was real and now the enemy is taking your eyes off of the cross that's what satan's trying to do every day all day in your life take your eyes off jesus take your eyes off the cross take your eyes off the gospel take your eyes off of god's word and he will use every distraction and every idea and every scheme to make sure that you are not looking at jesus And when we are working with people, and even in our own lives, we've got to be aware of Satan's attacks. We've got to be aware of the distractions. And so when you're working, when you're thinking about confronting someone, I think this idea of the awareness of deception, the reason why this is so important is that it helps us have compassion towards those that we are confronting. We need to have compassion in realizing this is not just this one issue. This is not just this one issue with this person. There's, there's a greater work of the enemy that's working in this person to not follow Jesus. And that's going to give me a sense of prayerfulness and compassion as I do this to make sure I make them aware of that as well. So that's, number, that's, that's, that's number two, awareness of deception. Number three, appeal to the Spirit. Appeal to the Spirit. Look at verses 2 through 5. These questions keep coming. It says this, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, have you begun by the Spirit and are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Here's these questions again, and these questions have to do with the Holy Spirit. Now again, in Paul's argument, he's saying, we know that it's, by, it's faith that justifies you. And then he brings them into their experience with the Holy Spirit. Because what we know is this. In the new covenant, when Jesus died and rose again, ascended into heaven, he promised the Holy Spirit. And in the new covenant with Jesus Christ, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And Paul mentions three works of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, sanctification or transformation, and miraculous works. And these are three works that in the life of a believer are going to happen. At the moment of salvation, we're regenerated. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works or by faith? No, we received it by faith. We didn't work our way to receive the Holy Spirit. Are you being changed? The second thing, are you being transformed by your own works, by your own power? Or is it the Holy Spirit's power that's changing you? Paul's introducing this idea here that when we, as followers of Jesus, we are transformed by the power of Spirit. This is a theological concept he's going to dig deeper into in chapters 5 and 6, but it's introduced here. And so when we are working to confront people in their lives, we've got to be aware that the Spirit of God is present and it is working. That's what Paul's appeal to them is, that the Spirit of God is always working. He's always working in people's lives. You know, yesterday yesterday morning, yesterday was just, uh, just one of those days where there was just a lot of tests, Holy Spirit moments, I guess, and 1118 was probably my biggest one. 1118, I had just finished my sermon notes, and I use Evernote for a lot of my writing my sermons, and I, I checked one sermon down below that I had preached previously to check something and to see if it might have anything to do with my current sermon, so I checked the previous sermon, and I went back to my sermon that I just finished, and the notes were gone. Now, this is Evernote, right? Like, they save things, or they're supposed to save things. And I spent the next 40 minutes trying to figure out how to restore all my entire sermon. And it was just this moment. Have you ever, have you ever lost everything? You know, I've been working on this thing all week, and I'm just like, oh. And I had, to, I, I, you know, I, like, there's this path I was approaching, and the path before me was... I'm about to have the biggest pity party for myself right now, right? Like, This is not fair, God. I'm trying to preach for you. And you dump it. You just take away the sermon. Like, this is, this is not right. I mean, how do sermons just disappear? This, uh, this demon's living in this thing, man. I was ticked off. and then, then, then I, so, so then it's like I'm, I'm tempted to go down the pity party, and then I'm tempted to get angry. Right? When something doesn't work out, I'm just getting angry, and I'm just getting like, I've got to now spend the next few hours trying to remember everything that I wrote before, and now I've got to do that, and I'm just like, oh, my day, all my schedule's off now, and I can feel myself welling up with anger. You see what's happening? And then I have this third path over here, and it's like, hey, God's testing your joy. Are you going to rejoice in the Lord always? And I'm just like, oh, I'm at this path, I'm at these three pathways, and I'm just like, okay, what am I going to do? All right, God, you're trying to teach me something today. Start typing again. If you don't like this sermon, the first one was really good, okay? (laughs) But it's gone now, forever. It's in in the multiverse somewhere. But I didn't make the... Listen... I don't share that with you to say, man, I, I made this great decision, and I'm, I'm so righteous, and I'm so holy. No, I can promise you this. If Ben Rudolph was ruling the day in that moment, I would have had a pity party. No, first I would have gotten really angry, and then I would have had a pity party for myself. That's Ben Rudolph. That's what I would have done. But because the Holy Spirit was working inside of me, I was able to catch myself and choose peace choose joy that's not natural to me it's not and so anything good that we do in our lives it's a work of the spirit and as we are as we are working thinking about this idea paul's appealing to their experience with the spirit and saying you know who the spirit is you know if if that, that one question having uh did you suffer so many things in vain if it did it was in vain he's saying is this if the spirit is really there and the spirit is really working when I confront you with this truth you will repent and turn back. He is so confident in the Holy Spirit's power to do his work. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, making sure that he's the one that does. Here's what you and I need to remember. You and I make horrible Holy Spirits. We do. And many times, it, we take it on ourselves to try to bring conviction into people's lives. Your job is not to bring conviction. You can't bring conviction. And when you try to bring conviction, you do a horrible job and you push people away from God. You know, you're, the very thing that you're trying to confront them with, when you're trying to be the Holy Spirit, you actually cause more harm than good. And what if, biblical confrontation is this. It, it's, it's, a, it's an appeal to the Spirit, knowing that if I present this person with the truth that i'm going to trust the holy spirit to do his work you know one of the things that dan i remember being a young youth pastor in dan's church when dan was the lead pastor he had this saying that allow the holy spirit time to complete his work in the life of the believer and that is that is a truth that is a principle that we all need to remember yes there are moments we need to confront there are times we need to rebuke and we need, to be aware of the, we need to be aware of the deception that's going on. But ultimately, how that person is going to go from death to life or from error to truth is because the Holy Spirit will bring conviction in their life and make them repent. Lead them to repentance. It's not your job. So appeal to the Spirit and trust and have the confidence that the Spirit is always working. Lastly, the last thing we've got to do, the fourth ingredient is the authority of Scripture. We've got to rebuke have got, there's times we have to rebuke and we have to say the hard things of people. The second thing is we've got to be aware of the, of the deception, aware of the spirit realm and how the spirit is working, uh, how the enemy is working against us to steal, kill, and destroy the work of God. Then we've got to appeal to the spirit. And lastly is the authority of scripture. Now there, this is, again, I said in the beginning, chapters three and four, it begins a new section in this letter. And so if you think about the sections of this letter, chapters 1 and 2 are a section, chapters 3 and 4 are a section, and then chapters 5 and 6 are a, se- are a section. And the reason why this is a new section is because Paul is now, his argument. he's turning his argument from their experience to the authority of God's Word. Seven times, Galatians 3.8, Galatians 3.10, Galatians 3.13, Galatians 3.22, Galatians 4.22, Galatians 4.27, and Galatians 4.30, Paul references the scriptures, or he says this phrase, for it is written. Look what it says again in verse 7. Now then, those that, now then that it is those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. He is teaching them. The content of this message he's trying to teach the Galatians is this. God promised to bless all the nations through Abraham. It had nothing to do with circumcision. If you want to be a child of Abraham, forget circumcision. It's about faith. Abraham believed God, it was credited him for righteousness. That is what he's saying. But he's using the word of God, the authority of Scripture, to back up his point. You see, here's what you and I need to remember. I Do not leave here today. Some of you are wringing your hands with excitement and glee saying, Pastor Ben has told me I can rebuke people. I cannot wait to get home and talk to my spouse. Right? Listen, when you rebuke, and if you're going to confront biblically, it has nothing to do with your opinion, it has nothing to do with your preferences has nothing to do with your own comfort your own ideas if we are to confront biblically we take the word of god and bring it into someone's life i don't care what you think i don't your opinion doesn't matter when someone is doing something wrong, we bring them to the power of God's word, who we said, no, in, in Hebrews four twelve, has the power to, to cut through the joints and the marrow, to, to understand that it gets to someone's soul, their spirit, their life. Your words will, will always fall short to the word of God. In a day in which we, people want to live their, authority, their own personal authority is what my own feelings are or what culture says or where my own experience, that's one of the most dangerous things I see in most churches today is that people say, this is my experience, therefore this is what I believe. That is contrary to the word of God. Your experience can back up the word of God, but your experience can never usurp the word of God. And if you have an experience that doesn't fit in with the word of God, you're underst- you, you just got to be like, I, I don't understand this. I don't get it. There are times that I don't know how to fit my experience with the word of God, but I know this, this ain't wrong. I've got to make sure that I, I always bring my experiences, my ideas, my opinions under this authority. We do, ne- we do not preach opinions here. We preach authority. And Look at these banners around this room. God, let us hear from you today through your spirit and through your word. We we need the authority of God's word every day to remind us of his power. Remind us that, that we have to be confronted. Hopefully when we're in rooms like this, when we come to church, that we are confronted with God's word because we know there are times when we're not living how we should. We're not doing the things we should. And just like that passage that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy, we can either choose to be a person that chooses to surround ourselves with people who will only affirm us, or we will, we will do the loving thing, we'll do the hard thing, and put ourselves in environments where we will be confronted by things. We will be confronted by God's word. We'll be confronted with God's truth. And if I'm going in this way or that way, God loves me enough, God's people love me enough that they're going to say something about it. You know, one of the things, as I was evaluating my own life, one of the things that I, I realized is that a lot of times confrontation is really hard for me because I try to project how someone's going to respond to my confrontation. Does is, is that, is that sound familiar to some of you? Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, man, I, there are things I want to say, there's things I should say, but I'm always afraid. I know I, I think of the dominoes falling and all these different things. And, and what we've got to remember is when you are speaking, when you are speaking truth and you are speaking the authority of God's word over people, you can have that boldness that you're going to trust God for how this turns out. You're not in control of that. Stop trying to control outcomes and trust the process of saying, I'm just going to bring God's word into a situation and let God do what only God can do. You know, we if we're going to be a people that aligns ourselves, that where we see the Spirit of God working and moving, where we are, we are more aligning ourselves under, under his authority and under his ways, there are times when we're going to have to be rebuked. And, and so that, that leads us to, to these two application questions. The first one is this. Is there someone you need to biblically confront? Is there someone that you You need to biblically confront. Maybe you're sitting this morning and there is someone in your life that you love, that you care about, and you see them going down a direction, you see them going down a path that is going to lead to destruction, it's gonna lead to pain, it's gonna lead to, to all kinds of dishonoring God in their own life and to those around them. Do you care about them enough to say something? Do you care about them enough to confront biblically and point out what they're doing? You know, as I... As I was thinking about this sermon yesterday afternoon, I had this just, I think God thought came into my mind. And I had this idea that, that, you know, this was this was in this moment in history, Paul needed to write this letter to this church to confront and rebuke the error and the sin of this church. And I thought about, man, if if God was going to write a letter to us. If God was going to write a letter to the American church today, what would he say? And I, and I really thought about that. I, I meditate on that a lot. And, and I, I was thinking about my own experience. And God has given me a very unique experience with the church. And I don't, I don't say this uh, in any kind of braggadocious way. But, but, you know, I grew up in the church. I got to, you know, first 10 years of my life, I, I was a pastor's kid. So I got to see pastors and churches uh from my dad's perspective my dad was a evangelist i would travel around with my dad from time i was high school in middle school and and see church be a part of churches from new england to the northeast to the upper midwest got to visit hundreds of churches meet hundreds of pastors later when i was in college i I traveled on summer ministry teams and i got to in one summer i was in 30 different churches preaching to, to youth groups meeting different churches and pastors uh, one of my first jobs was to be a recruiter for the Bible College, and so it put me in fifty different, you know, areas of where church and, and Christian schools, and I got to see a lot of things. And I come down here, and and being a pastor of three different churches, and 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 knowing a lot of pastors in our community, and I was a part of an organization called Christ Together, and I got to be their Southeast representative. I got to travel to dozens and scores of churches in in the Southeast to get to know pastors and churches and ministry there, and. 47 years of my life, I look at my church experience, what I have seen with my own eyes, what I've experienced in my own life, and what I see inside of my own soul. And I believe if Jesus was going to bring a rebuke to us today, this is what he would say. You love yourself more than you love me. You love, you love making sure your comfort, and you love making sure your pleasure is, And you love making sure everything that you want comes first before what I want. The reason why we do not see the Spirit of God working and moving like he has in times past, there's a lot of reasons, but I think it's because we will not put Jesus first. We do not love him first and best. And the reason the Bible, Jesus says, the reason why people love me little is because they do not understand how much they have been forgiven. The reason why understanding the gospel is so important for us is because when we understand how much we have been forgiven when we understand the greatness of our sin that jesus bled and died for we cannot help but love him greatly and the reason why we love little is because we think highly of ourselves If there's one rebuke that the church of Jesus Christ, what we need to hear over and over and over again in our time, do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus takes Peter, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than this person? Do you you love me more than your wealth? Do you love me more than your status? Do you love me more than your family? Do Do you love me most and best? we do not love Jesus like we should. And because of that, we're living out the consequences of our own life choices when we do not. So that's the rebuke we need to hear this morning. That's the confrontation I believe the Holy Spirit would have us respond to in light of who he is. One more question. Which essential do you need God's help with the most? You know, maybe, maybe there is a, a, a personal rebuke that the Holy Spirit's putting on you right now, or maybe God's calling you that you, need, that you need to confront. What is it that you need his help with most? Listen, this is not easy. This is very difficult. For both people who love to confront and hate to confront, to, to confront biblically is difficult for both kinds of people. Let us be people that love and care about each other enough, that love and care about the world enough, that we will speak the truth in love and confront biblically. Not because we're trying to show ourselves mightier or more powerful, but because we love them and we love God so much. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What's the Holy Spirit prodding your heart? Maybe there is a rebuke that the Spirit is giving to you right now. What are you going to do about it? Maybe you need to talk to someone. We're gonna have a moment of response here in just a few moments whether you wanna come and and respond by coming down, taking communion at one of these stations, reflecting on the sacrifice of Jesus for you. Maybe it's just to pray in your seat. Maybe it's to to talk to someone about an issue of wisdom in your own life of, of, I need to confront someone, I don't know how to do it. We're gonna have a prayer team out in the lobby that would love to talk with you. I'll be available after the service, but no matter what the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, let's not shut him off, Let's not push him it aside. Let us be sensitive to hear from the Spirit and from his word. Father, we, we bow our hearts before you right now and we ask right now that you would have your way in us. God, confrontation is hard, but we're grateful that you rebuke us when we need it, you bring reproof and correction in righteousness. Because you love us so much. And God, I pray that we would have that same kind of love. Our love for you and our love for others would burst forth to do the hard thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for this reminder that we need to stand out in the midst of a culture that says live and let live. Let bygones be bygones. Let us show people a different way. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.